Hi everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by Seek.io to become the global leader in VR entertainment on the blockchain. Also sponsored by Casper Mattresses to help you get the best night's rest. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101. This is Matthew Aaron. And today we have one of the most sought after and requested interviews in Crypto 101 history. We have Dr. Gemma Green, co-founder and chair of Power Ledger. Now, while you're listening to this interview with Dr. Green, please think about these two questions. The first question I have about this company is what do you think about selling your electricity back to a centralized power company to be redistributed? Do you think that structure is the best structure? And my second question is, what do you think of the problems that the government is going to have or you're going to have as an individual dealing with taxation on these kinds of piecemeal incomes? These are the questions I have through this interview, and I have no clue what to think about them yet. So come to Crypto101Podcast.com, go to the bottom of the page, click the Facebook icon, and join the Crypto101 Facebook community, and let me know what you think. Also on Crypto101Podcast.com, you can click the iTunes icon subscribe to us leave us a comment it helps us stay on top of the ranking so people can find crypto 101 also you can send us an email say what's up go to the support page become a patreon patreons have been the backbone of this community for months and as a thank you every two weeks or so we put up a new rant commentary or episode just for the patreons and our next one is going to be with andy 10 of gift Two, and you guys are going to get access to that before we put it out to everybody else and lastly, we have a team of five blog writers writing up a storm, summarizing our content, and also writing opinion articles. So please check out those blogs that we're writing and pass them around for other people to read. That's great information. We will see you after the show and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Gemma Green of Power Ledger. Dr. Gemma Green from Power Ledger, co-founder and chair. Welcome to Crypto 101. Hi, great to be here. Thank you very much for spending this morning with us. And it's great to finally have you on. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's been a little while coming, so it's great to finally make it happen. Excellent. We're, let's just get right into it because you know what? I was reading about Power Ledger and your background. You have a PhD in disruptive innovation. Can Correct. you tell me what is disruptive innovation? Sure. It's actually a term that was coined by a Harvard business professor by the name of Clayton Christensen. But the notion of innovations that are disruptive goes back, you know, it was actually coined by some economists like 100 years ago or more. And, you know, you can see it's been going on since the horse and cart was disrupted by the motor vehicle. 
CDs, disrupted audio cassettes. So it's basically this concept that new and better technologies uh, replace old ones and it can happen very quickly and the incumbent market participants may not see what's happening. So in the case of electricity markets, we've had pretty much a centralised electricity system for the better part of a century, uh, which is large power stations, transmission lines, distribution lines, bringing electricity to people's homes. And uh, in the past decade, distributed renewables in the form of solar panels and now batteries are a disruptive innovation to our centralised and largely fossil fuel-based electricity system. Excellent. That's cool that you mentioned about the power grid and what PowerLedger is going to start doing. But I really want to get into disruptive technology a little bit more and sure. or disruptive innovation a little bit more because I just think it's uh, very interesting doing a PhD in that. And when you're looking at disruptive innovation, I assume as a PhD, uh, you can choose which path you go down. But which path did you go down and what paths can you go down with disruptive innovation from social to technological to other aspects? Disruptive innovations can come in a number of different forms. Sometimes they're more expensive but better. So the smaller hard disks basically disrupted the larger floppy disks. Mm. They were smaller but more expensive. By contrast, Google Maps disrupted TomTom overnight Mm. because it was better and cheaper. That's what we call disruption from above when you have something that's superior and cheaper at the same time, whereas with the floppy disks, it was disruption from below Mm -hmm. uh, where it was better but more expensive. And actually, Professor Clayton Christensen first observed this kind of phenomena in the contemporary economy looking at the steel industry where there were just a handful of large steel manufacturers and some smaller companies set up kilns located close to the markets where Rebar was needed. Rebar is basically Mm. reinforcement bar. It's like a very low-value piece of steel. But they started to steal the market share from the large players, firstly starting with rebar and then adding more value-added products. And the large players didn't see this disruption coming. And so actually you can see the phenomena across a range of sectors. And sometimes the product may be actually not as good but far cheaper. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it may be better but a little bit more expensive. And then the big bang disruption is where you see that it's cheaper and better from the Mm get-go. Interesting, very interesting. So how would you put and frame in a disruptive innovation digital assets or blockchain? I think that incumbent market participants can do one or a combination of three things when they see that their market share or their profit margin is being eroded. They can either fight, flight, or innovate, and I'll explain what those things are. So fighting is where you try and like lobby for rules to block out the new market participants with the disruptive technologies, and you can see examples of that. Sometimes they'll also fight for fixed charges, so they make money no matter what, even if the utilization of their technology or asset is going down. Flight is where they do nothing and pretend nothing's happening or they divest and start selling off their assets and their interests in that sector because they see the writing is on the wall. The final one is innovate and that's where they start to, to actually get involved in the new technology and try and use it and maybe cannibalize some of their existing market share because if they don't, one of their competitors will or they try and attract new markets as well using the technology. And they might do a combination of things. So they could be fighting to protect their turf and innovating simultaneously. So in the case of blockchain, if you look at financial markets, 
uh, most of the existing banks are involved in blockchain projects of some kind. They may, however, be simultaneously lobbying against certain new market participants or legislation that's going to enable their competitors to get one up on them. Great. I'm, I'm happy that we have framed this. Now we have disruptive innovation framed, what it means yes. to tech, what it means to blockchain. Now let's go into a little bit about Power Ledger. What is Power Ledger? And then we'll just work through how it's going to disrupt the industry. In terms of blockchain in electricity markets, the disruption was happening whether Power Ledger or the blockchain existed or not. I mentioned earlier that the electricity system has remained relatively unchanged for the better part of a century. And distributed renewables in the past decade have started to erode the market share and value of traditional utilities. So like in Europe, for example, most of the utilities had very high credit ratings and in the past decade they've dropped like, you know, notches. So, mm -hmm. uh, and many of them have sold off assets. They've lost uh, nearly a trillion dollars worth of value of their market capitalization. So this is all happening. There's other disruption that, that way. And actually the blockchain, in our opinion, enables the disruption to occur, but with less destruction of value. Mm -hmm. The technology of the blockchain electricity is really about facilitating more trading across the electricity network and therefore maintaining utilization of the network and therefore its value. The idea of this is basically to make sure that the grid, which is a very important and valuable asset, is continued to be used because not everybody can afford to install solar panels or um, you know, a home battery system, even with the best payback period. But if you create the, use the blockchain technology, you can allow them to purchase electricity from their neighbours. And in doing so, the network gets used and uh, it's ensuring its ongoing viability as an asset. So that's one area where the blockchain will help the disruption to occur in a less destructive fashion. It can also provide a price signal for small market participants to help solve big problems. And as an example of that, in the peak market, typically you'll have big generators that sit on standby to provide electricity. But using the blockchain, you could have lots of households that provide a small proportion of what's needed in the peak. And the blockchain means that they can get paid for that properly. So the market presently is about as geared up to allow small market participants like households into the market as a supermarket is to purchase homegrown tomatoes. So the blockchain enables not only the, the existing market participants but smaller ones to be involved. It also means that market participants can get paid sooner. Presently, the markets settle payments 60 to 80 days after electricity is generated. So if you're a company, you need a lot of money in the bank or borrowed as an overdraft to fund your business until you get paid. Using the blockchain, the payment is actually the same thing as the electricity uh, moving across the network. That entry on the blockchain creates the payment simultaneously. So it means households and big market participants can be paid sooner, which creates a far more efficient and low-cost uh, marketplace. So there's a number of different ways, I guess, that the blockchain can help electricity markets in delivering highly resilient, low-cost and low-carbon electricity. Okay. So I, I guess I'm a little confused right now. What is Power Ledger? Because I'm under the imp impression that it is a token that I can use to sell electricity to my neighbors if I have solar power in a battery in my house. But you, it sounds like there's more to it than that. So PowerLedger is a company and the Power Token is something that PowerLedger uh, has developed to be used inside 
the platform and the applications that PowerLedger uses. PowerLedger is a company whose mission is to democratize power mm-hmm. and uh, enable citizen utilities. And we have a number of technologies which include uh, peer-to-peer trading across networks, trading within buildings like apartment buildings or office buildings, also electric vehicle charging, carbon market trading and settlement, and we've also got a new product which is called Asset Germination, which is fractionalizing ownership of energy assets using the blockchain. And the blockchain becomes the asset register and the income rent register as well. We have a twin token system. We've got power tokens, which I'll talk about in a minute, and Sparks. Sparks are a cryptographic token mm-hmm. that's a tokenized unit of electricity. What that means is that if I'm a household, I can purchase sparks to to trade electricity with my neighbors. And one spark is one cent or the lowest denomination in a currency. So when I buy a dollar's worth of sparks, I get a hundred sparks. And when I redeem those, I get a dollar back. So the customer is not exposed to any cryptocurrency volatility. Now, who allows the customers to trade? That's the energy retailer. So they say, we want to allow our customers to trade peer-to-peer and we're going to sell them Sparks so they can do that. And so they're basically pre-selling Sparks. Now, to make sure that the energy company gives the customer their dollars back when they redeem Sparks, the power token is used as the bond backing uh, to ensure the integrity of the system. And so in the same way that banks would consider merchant risk or counterparty risk for prepayments of services, Sparks are effectively like phone minutes. Right, uh, and right. so you want to make sure that they've got the money, they're selling Sparks, but they've also got the money there when the customer wants to redeem them back for dollars. And so the, the power tokens sit in a bond or an escrow mm-hmm. in the event that the company doesn't pay back the money for the Sparks. And basically the business model behind power tokens is that the more utilities that are offering their customers peer-to-peer, And the more customers they have that are trading peer-to-peer, the more power tokens those energy companies will need to put in escrow, which would constrain the supply of power tokens and ultimately determine the price. And so the the concept around the price determinant for power tokens is how much peer-to-peer trading is actually occurring. And now a word from our sponsor, Seek.io. Seek's mission is to become the global leader in virtual reality entertainment on the blockchain. Seek VR Inc. is a developer of hardware and software for omni-channel distribution of virtual reality experiences. The company creates, curates, and distributes virtual reality content for world-class partners on the Seek virtual reality platform and patented headsets. Seek provides several channels of virtual content, both originally created and professionally licensed over a Seek VR experience distribution platform. If you are curious about virtual reality entertainment on the blockchain, go to seek.io and check out their token sale. Now, back to the show.
So let's just take this a little bit more 101 for me because I'm confused. I'm still, <laughs> I'm a very simple person. So let's just say Johnny has a house and he wants to do exactly what you said, trade energy peer to peer. What would, do you imagine Johnny's first step of doing? And then who is he trading with? How is he trading? And how does he get his money? Say I have solar panels on my roof. I sign up with my energy company to sell my surplus electricity to my neighbor. Okay. My neighbor buys sparks from the energy company. Okay. I sell them my electricity and I receive sparks. So I've got $20 worth of sparks in my wallet. Mm -hmm. Then I want to get the $20. So I, I give the power company my sparks mm -hmm. and they give me dollars. So could they be selling it for 40 or 50? The power company can sell it no, for whatever you want? No. Okay. No, no, no. Well, the electricity is a different matter. In terms of the cost per kilowatt hour, that will be determined on a market-by-market market basis. But one spark is always one cent or the lowest denomination in a country. So in Japan, it would be one yen. So that that's basically the concept. So I receive 100 sparks. That's $1 worth of sparks. And then I give them to my energy retailer, who's what's called an application host on our platform. Okay. I, I give them to the energy company and they give me a dollar in exchange for those 100 sparks. I, I understand. So basically you're turning everybody's household in like a community or a city or a country into a big solar farm that then feeds the power company that redistributes it to people that don't have solar panels. Uh, well, actually, the transacting is happening direct from buyer and seller. Oh. So the Sparks is going via the application okay. host. Uh, I see, but I the see. transacting is happening without an intermediary in between. So what about people that do not have solar panels? Can they participate? Yes. So all they do is purchase Sparks. So they might buy $10 worth of Sparks. So they buy 1,000 Sparks. And then they can purchase electricity from anyone who's offering electricity on the network. And they pay for it using Sparks. Okay, I understand. Got it. Thank you very much for that. You you mentioned something pretty interesting about the power companies. And in the United States, and I know uh, you're based in Australia, correct? Correct, yes. So in, in, in the United States, the power companies just kind of have this big control, big hole. There's, like in the, I was born in Cleveland. And there's only one place to buy power in Cleveland. In Hawaii, there's only one place to buy power. If I was selling power to my neighbor the power company would have a hissy fit and probably make legislation against me or the system or sparks or what have you. This is a disruptive technology. What kind of problems do you see coming from this and how are you guys going to combat? Because it seems like you're working with the power company. Absolutely. We see them as partners. They're called application hosts on our systems. Mm -hmm. So network operators like peer-to-peer -peer trading because rather than the household keeping their own solar panel, electricity from their solar panels, they trade it and send it across the network. And every time electricity touches the network, the network company gets paid. The retailers are interested in our platform because actually with lots of retailers in the market, there's quite a lot of churn. So people are changing energy companies and the energy companies spend a lot of money on customer acquisition and retention. Mm -hmm. And they know that customers want to be able to trade peer-to-peer. -peer. And so using our technology, they can create a more sticky relationship with their customers uh, where they're less likely to leave. So they see the, the opportunity of using our technology and we have them as an integral part of the trading platform. Mm -hmm. What problems do you see with the government then? Because 
I guess it's, it's tax season over in the States and I'm doing my taxes. And I just realized after doing an episode on how crypto taxes work that I am getting, I have to pay and get all kinds of documents together to figure out how to file my taxes this year. And it's a lot of numbers. It seems as though that this also will create another layer of income for me and the governments will really have a lot of need a lot of documentation. So not only with your tech of peer to peer when it comes to electricity or power, but there's also all kinds of other peer to peer networks. How is the government going to play this and how are they going to make it easy for the people? Or are they? Yes. So if you look at the internet boom that happened, well, with the ISPs and the telcos in 94 and 95, the market was opened up and then basically anyone, you know, could set up and become an ISP. And there were thousands of them that were set up overnight. And then I think billions of dollars worth of value was created with all these new enterprises as well. What happened very quickly after that was a period of market consolidation and reform. So the bigger players started to buy up the smaller players. And as the market matured, you were left with a few more market participants. And there were more ubiquitous technologies being used to maintain the market. But effectively, it was analogous in the sense that all these ISPs were paying to access this network to be able to offer their service. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that similar thing will happen as the market matures here. And so you'll start to see interoperability between different trading platforms and, and in consolidation and market reform. Right. I guess I'm talking about the individual. What about Johnny that has a house? And like now you have you generate him an income. How is he going to deal with that with the government? How, is the, how do you expect the government to look at him when he files his, in, these, in the U.S., the W-2, or he gets his 1099? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, so like any income that you make during the year, you would need to declare that on your tax return. So it's just taxes. It's, it's basically, so basically, it's more it's an added le level of income, maybe a little trouble and negotiation with the government of how these taxes are going to roll out. Sure. I think that the way the government sees the taxes will be different from place to place. Like some people may be able to offset that against their electricity bill. Mm. And so it just means that you're actually paying a smaller bill as opposed to having to pay income tax on that. Others may see them as separate matters. So it really depends on the country in terms of how the tax is treated. Do you find that there's any social implications to what you're doing? Like, I, I guess I don't. Let me phrase this question. I was talking to Origin Protocol the other day. And Josh brought up an amazing point about taking out the middleman. And then we went in through this like slippery slope uh, conversation about, well, Uber fired a driver that worked for Uber because they sent a racist tweet. So there was this, now they're acting as the governor of who can drive for them and who can participate in their peer-to-peer -peer system. And mm. they kind of like add, act as this check. But now he's taking the middleman out. So you can just get an Uber driver straight direct, peer-to-peer, -peer, and there's no middleman. So if he's sending racist tweet, tweets, you still might be getting picked up by this guy. Have you thought of any kind of peer-to-peer -peer, um, social implications of what you're doing? Well, absolutely. You don't really know the, who the buyer and the seller is, but in terms of the conduct of people that are on the network, if that becomes known to the companies, then I think that their brand can be tarnished by association. So what people do on social media is of great interest to employers or contractors in modern-day companies. And... I think that the you know claims that are made or statements that are made are important, very relevant, even if it's like a private Twitter account, you know that may actually undermine the credibility of a company. But in terms of you know knowing who your electricity is being purchased from, actually it's quite anonymized, so you're not necessarily going to be privy to that. But like for example, the amount of power tokens that an energy company might need to put in escrow will be a function of how good they are to their customers and whether they treat them well, as well as the risk of default. 
And so basically there is a kind of inbuilt system around operating and conducting yourself well in the marketplace. Right. So if I'm if I have my sparks and I'm selling my things, and I guess I want your opinion on this. If I was a household that sent racist tweets or joined uh, KKK meetings, this might be extreme, or maybe I have, I don't know, um, terrorist affiliations, supposedly, mm-hmm. not proven. Do you personally believe I should be able to sell my electricity or do you think somebody should be able to govern that? Because right now, the income that I'm generating might be going to my beliefs that might not yeah, agree with yours. I mean, yeah, to, to be honest, you can't just get on the network and trade peer-to-peer unless you have an account with an electricity company. So that means that you've actually – there's been some credit checks and also identity checks conducted. So right. if you're you know, a, a citizen that is worthy of having an electricity account – with a regulated electricity company, then you should be able to also trade peer-to-peer. Cool. And that's what you believe. What if I didn't get verified? I'm just curious. Well, it's not It's not possible, actually. Right. You can't trade peer-to-peer unless your energy retailer verifies your meter and actually allows you to do that. And so it's not like Uber that anyone can just get on the road. It's a regulated market. And that is a big distinction between, say, Airbnb and Uber and electricity markets. Okay. And the reason why I asked is because Josh and I have another conversation coming up and it's going to be a debate between, you know, taking out that middleman because he feels that, and this is actually unrelevant to Power Ledger, but he feels that the company shouldn't be able to control how you make your money depending on what your beliefs are or ideologies are. And I'm, I'm kind of on the, on the line, which I don't, I don't know. I don't know if somebody has a certain belief, if he's, you know, maybe anti-gay pro-gay or Muslim or Catholic or Christian or whatever, you know, these things that can separate us should be able to be governed that they are allowed to enter in this P2P marketplace. Yeah, to be honest, I, I haven't really had that question asked of me before, but in terms of electricity markets, I think that it's it's actually a very ubiquitous resource, electricity. It's not like there is a tag attached to each kilowatt hour of electricity. And presently, you may be pr- procuring electricity from companies that are, you know, engaged in other activities that you're, you're not aware of either. True. So I don't think it, there's true. really any distinction uh, in that maybe the way you might draw a distinction between Uber, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just trying to change my mind from the social thing because I've, I have a political science, political theory background. So I keep trying to get my mind away from this. Um, certainly. <laughs> I, I think that Power Ledger actually enables more social justice mm-hmm. uh, in electricity markets so that people that can't afford solar panels can still get access to renewable energy at a low cost. It also means that you create a bona fide marketplace with price signals that you know can ensure that there is more renewable electricity in the market and it's delivered in a highly resilient fashion. We've seen blackouts and things like this because of centralised electricity generation. And if you look at Hurricanes Irma and Maria, the islands that had distributed uh, renewable systems were still generating electricity by the most part compared to the centralised systems where you had a diesel generator on one island and then underground cables connecting electricity elsewhere, they got wiped out entirely. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people are very poor. So I think from a social justice perspective, looking at how do we transition and make an orderly transition to low cost and low carbon electricity and what kind of technology like the blockchain could enable that will facilitate more social justice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When an American hears energy and, you know, selling and buying energy, we think of Enron. That's the first thing we think of, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So is I, I, I'm assuming that this is a lot different. Actually, 
actually, I think if the blockchain had been present, the kind of downfall of Enron, in my opinion, would not have been possible. Really? Complete, uh, explain, please. Well, the blockchain is a public record which provides very transparent information to see what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. And you know, Enron had really talented people, but they, they had bookkeeping and, and practices in the marketplace that were very questionable. And um, they were able to do that because it was all private. The databases were all private, whereas if you're actually operating on a public ledger, then you can't do that. Gotcha, gotcha. Everything's going to be in a smart contracts. Everybody's going to know what's going on, and there's no way for them to fraud the system or just, you know, accidentally make mistakes. Correct. I think that if you see people's conduct, um, you know, you can easily go and look up on Etherscan to see what's happening. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And now a word from our sponsors. Did you know that Casper mattresses are designed to mimic human curves and that you spend a third of your life sleeping? Well, I don't know about you, but I spend a third of my life looking at Coinbase and checking my coins. And when I wake up in the morning on my Casper mattress, I roll over, I grab my phone and I check my Bitcoin prices from my Casper mattress. And I want to say thank you to the experts of Casper for working to make quality sleep surfaces that cradle my natural geometry all in the right places. So thoughtful. So thoughtful. Just let you know, that Casper mattress can be delivered right to your door. And if you don't like it, you have hassle-free returns if you're not completely satisfied. Free shipping and returns from the U.S. and Canada. If you like this and you want to have comfortable Coinbase checking straight from your bed, please go to casper.com slash crypto101 using promo code crypto101. That's casper.com slash crypto 101 using promo code crypto 101 to get $50 toward your mattress. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100 night risk free sleep on it trial. Now back to the show. Would you mind if we go into some general questions? Sure. Cool. What do you think of the market these days? Are you bullish on the way that the market's going? We had a big pullback and, you know, everybody's scared. You know, what do you think of the future? I think that the market, you know, is it's a highly speculative market and that's what's really driving price volatility. Like if you look at the dot-com boom, for example, mm-hmm. A lot of value was ascribed or attributed to companies based on the view that they were going to fulfill on what it was they said they were going to do. And there came a point where investors no longer accepted that they were going to do it. They had to do it. And if they didn't do it, they were going to be punished in the form of a sell down of the shares. Mm -hmm. And I think we're in that stage right now with the crypto markets. If you look at people investing in ICOs, you know, vaporware is getting money. A lot of value is ascribed to companies based on what people think those companies are going to do as opposed to what they've actually done. And it's it's a function of a, you know, a market in its infancy. But I think within the next six to 12 months, the, the market will start to become more discerning and expect results. And if they haven't delivered, then they won't attract as many investors and a higher token price. So I think we're in that period right now where we're flushing out the chaff from the wheat, as it were. And... In terms of the market, like I, I'm very, you know, bullish about blockchain as a technology that can enable social good and help with 
solving some of society's very big problems you know, around identity for children in developing countries, mm -hmm. uh, around climate change. Right. There's many different applications. But in terms of which companies are actually going to do that, we don't know yet. Right. Um, I think with Powerledger, I think we, what actually made us more interesting, even though we were like a little company from Perth, um, was that we actually had developed a platform and applications and we had some projects distinct from others which had a concept and an idea of what they were going to do and that that was seen as more credible in the marketplace you know rightly or wrongly but i think over the next 12 to 18 months companies that have raised a lot of money with their icos need to use their resources very wisely not all lottery winners remain rich and it's not up to the lap of the gods it will depend on whether they use them to actually prove up what they said they were going to do well, PowerLedger isn't quite a little company anymore. It has a market cap of $260 million today, I think. You said, you know, this is going to be a make or break year. I 100% agree with you. Actually, I just put out a podcast the other day about the same thing you just said. Companies are going to need to start proving. Has PowerLedger proved it? And do you think PowerLedger is worth that $263 million market cap today? I mean, it's constantly, you know, a shock to me about what's happened to PowerLedger since we completed our ICO. I think like all the blockchain companies out there, a lot of the value is uh, ascribed to them based on the perception of what they will do. And then the companies need to deliver upon those things. And as a company, like I, I, lots of people want to talk about crypto markets and the price of crypto. I'm really focused on what's going to drive the fundamental value of the power token. And I spend my day working on that, right. which is application hosts offering customers peer-to-peer -peer and customers trading peer-to-peer. -peer. That's creating more utility around the power token and that's what I'm focused on and what PowerLedger as a company is focused on. So I read your roadmap. What's going to be happening in 2018 for you guys? What's going to happen in early 2019? So it's quite exciting this year. We've currently had projects in Australia, New Zealand, Thailand and India and uh, within the next wow. uh, 12 to 18 months, we will also uh, have projects in a further 12 international locations mm -hmm. and be trading hundreds of megawatt hours of electricity daily, creating far more bona fide utility around the power token. And the other thing we'll be doing is launching our asset germination product, which is using the blockchain to fractionalize ownership of energy assets. So they're the key focuses of what PowerLedger will be is working on and will be delivering on in the next 12 to 18 months. Any projects in Perth? Absolutely, yes. We were awarded uh, a Smart Cities and Suburbs grant from the Australian Federal Government. And that is a project that involves two universe, Australian universities, the CSIRO, which is like the government scientists um, research office, as well as the West Australian Land Development Agency here and the energy company, so the network operator and the energy retailer. And that is looking at integrated power and water trading for uh, an urban infill project of up to 2,000 homes. So looking at how the blockchain can facilitate energy trading and water trading and settlement. And this particular site has some constraints around wastewater, interestingly, where if you want to put 2,000 new homes in, you need to upgrade all the pipes to get mm -hmm. the wastewater out. And that's going to cost millions of dollars. So mm. instead of doing that, we're looking at putting an on-site wastewater treatment plant in, mm. which is quite energy hungry. So that necessitates more solar and batteries. And some of that electricity can be provided to the households. And some can also be sold to the grid uh, during the peak and attract a return. And the battery will be a part of our asset germination product at launch, which is the fractionalized ownership I mentioned before. 
So it'll effectively be a community-owned battery. So that's a very exciting project that we're working on in Perth. And we also have the WGV project, which involves three apartment buildings trading peer-to-peer and also an elect- shared electric vehicle as well. Cool, cool. You know what I really like about the blockchain? It shows that people can do good and still have a business. And it seems like that there's more people that want to do good than just consume and drink Coca-Cola and Pepsi and eat McDonald's. Congratulations to you guys and all the success so far. Thank you very much. Who is one person in the crypto space that you look up to, admire, or respect? Bill Tai. He's our global ambassador and advisor, and he's like a serial venture capitalist. He's invested in more than 100 companies. He set up the blockchain conference with Sir Richard Branson at Sir Richard Branson's Necker Island. Wow. And he's a, a real pioneer. He was involved in the early days of Ethereum. He's also the chairman of the board of Bitfury, which is the la- largest mining company for Bitcoin outside of China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, he's a really wonderful advocate for Power Ledger and, and also the community for blockchain for social good, actually. Right on. And so what company would you think is going to have the greatest impact in the crypto space, blockchain space, besides Power Ledger? That's a great question. I think that the companies right now working on the issues of scale in the blockchain. Mm. So there's a number of different blockchains that are trying to solve that. And whoever does that, I think will create a very well utilized blockchain and will help solve a lot of problems in various sectors around market efficiency. There's so many people coming into this space right now, usually for Lambos and Raris on Mars and stuff like that. And, and they're coming in maybe blindly. They're coming in, you know, coming in hot, if you will. What would your advice be to these new people coming into the space if you're the first person they listen to? That's it. <laughs> well, I think my advice would be is do your homework. Uh, it's very easy to get caught up in like that whole speculative culture and I just don't think that's where the real substance is behind and the real opportunity behind the blockchain because of the diverse landscape of companies out there. You know, it's not easy to filter what is just a speculative trading opportunity versus what's got real value behind it. And that takes time. So you can't just kind of dip your toe in the crypto water in a big way quickly. You, you need to spend time understanding the companies and the market dynamics. Besides Power Token, do you hold some crypto? Actually, I've only ever uh, just bought some Bitcoin to buy more power tokens. Um, <laughs> that, I, I, I don't, I've never traded any altcoins. Dr. Green, thank you very much. And you have a great day. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. And thank you very much to Dr. Green for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. I have something to say to everybody. During the bear, during this stagnation where we're not seeing 500% daily gains, we've seen a little bit of lack of interest in blockchain, in crypto, in Bitcoin. in. But when we're Lambos on the moon and everything's going up to 20,000, everybody's paying attention. Everybody's learning. Everybody's reading. No, guys, this is the time to do your due diligence this is the time where we can collect our thoughts this is the time where we can look at the new technologies coming out and the new players in the space and the old ones to see how they're going to drive this technology forward 
This is the time to keep your interest. So please tell everyone to start reading, researching, listening to podcasts, listening to Crypto 101 about blockchain and cryptocurrency because you want to prepare yourself before the bulls. And when the bulls come and the bulls are starting running, you better be wearing your running shoes. And the only way you're going to put on those running shoes is to get that knowledge, listen to the podcasts, and get people into the space. So don't lose interest and don't lose hope just because it's been quiet. And I've talked to people across the board from bloggers to YouTubers to coins. They are all saying that traffic is down because there's no Lambos and there's no $20,000 Bitcoin. Don't let this happen. Thank you very much for listening. And this is Matthew Aaron, and we'll see you in the next episode episode of Crypto 101. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.